of hype. <laughs> Get him to hype you up. Be like, yo. Yeah, man. Listen to this. <laughs> listen, listen to this, man. You need to, you need to respect my name. Um. <laughs> Hi, I'm Thompson Jaffe from Katrina Loves Trent. In this episode, Dustin and I discuss some spoilers about Theodore Boone, kid lawyer. You have been warned. So you have a long to be read list and you don't know how to proceed. Just give yourself a break, my friend, because Dustin can read. Dustin can read. In the small city of Strattenburg, there are many lawyers. And though he's only 13 years old, Theo Boone thinks he's one of them. Theo knows every judge, policeman, court clerk, and a lot about the law. He dreams of being a great trial lawyer, of a life in the courtroom. But Theo finds himself in court much sooner than expected, because he knows so much, maybe too much. He is suddenly dragged into the middle of a sensational murder trial. A cold-blooded killer is about to go free, and only Theo knows the truth. The stakes are high, but Theo won't stop until justice is served. Before I want to talk about the episode, um, did you know why I chose this book? I did not. I was like, this is about as far from anything I've ever done ever as you could possibly get. Really? You never have you never read any John Grisham before? Nope. Really? Okay, neither have I actually. <laughs> and the weird thing about that is I used to live a few doors down from John Grisham before he got big. I mean, like right before. <laughs> um, and it was really weird. Like I lived like right here and there's a house in the corner of me and then across that street and the house next door to that. It was like, there was only a few doors down. He probably never remembered me anyway. It was so long ago. And, and they moved not long after that, actually. But he went to the same high school as me. Uh, we had the same English teacher. A lot of the same teachers, actually. It's really weird. I don't know. But yeah, I've never read one before. And surprisingly, considering I grew up with him, basically, and all around me. And they filmed all these movies that, from his books in Memphis, which is my town. Not my town. It's right next door. Um, <laughs> um, but this is his first middle grade novel. And it's a series, of course. It's the start of the series. And I think it's kind of a good start. But I also chose it because at some point I saw that you worked with kids. I do, yeah. <laughs> I and do. for some reason, I thought, well, maybe this will be something kind of neat that she could, you know, share. I don't know. How old are the kids you work with? Uh, the kids I'm currently nannying are um, seven months, 22 months, and five. Okay, maybe a little too old. Okay, never mind. So, yeah, <laughs> right now we're really, uh, they're, we're reading a lot of Good Night Moon. Um, so John Grisham might be a little, that's the next step though. Um, but yeah, definitely <laughs> get him right onto those law books. <laughs> the 22 month old, two months, he's got a birthday. This is the book I'm bringing him. You're two now. It's time to get down to business with John Grisham. <laughs> and next Grey's Anatomy. Boom. <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. I thought, it, oh my Lord, I thought you were working with older kids. <laughs> I, do. I have also worked with older kids many, many times. Just right now I'm nannying exclusively. But that's, you know, maybe whenever you do work with older kids, this would be something you could share with them because it is kind of a good introduction to law and really spelled out, really spelled out for oh, the yeah, audience. Perfect. So since, yeah, like normal, when did this come out? That's, I forgot. This came out in 2010. 2010, that's right. And we know my rule. <laughs> if it's five years or older, I'll go ahead and spoil it. So since this is 10 years old, we're good to go. Yeah. Um, why don't we go ahead and begin with the book? Yeah, sounds good. So we start and we learn that Theodore Boone, the main character, is 13. He goes by Theo mainly, though his mother calls him Teddy at times, which he hates. He has braces, the old-fashioned metal kind. And he also has the, a rescue dog that he got from Animal Court, a mutt named Judge, appropriately. Um, his parents are both attorneys. Notably, his mother is a divorce lawyer and his father is a real estate lawyer. He is also undecided of his future to be a great prosecutor or a great judge. Why don't you wait till you get through law school, kid? <laughs> Why don't we get, make that the goal first? <laughs> so um, they live in this quaint little city of Strattenburg. At first, it's kind of described like it's a quaint, a quaint town. And, you know, as Theo heads through town you know, on his bike, we can you know, we get a little taste of like kind of small town life because he knows all these people that he keeps interacting with. Yeah, he really does. And already it feels, yeah, it yeah. kind of feels like Encyclopedia Brown to me for some reason at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff for a, a quaint small town. There's a lot of stuff happening. I know, but it just felt like everybody knew, every, like he knew everybody. So it felt like it was supposed to be a small town. And then as it goes yeah, on, I, it's like, oh, this is clearly not a small town. <laughs> I got weird, like to kill a mockingbird vibes from that. Where, like, oh, yeah, I guess that too. Yeah. Um, his first stop is the courthouse for two reasons. First, he wants to um, give his friend April Finnamore some moral support. The description for April, I feel it's not very, quote, woke. For today's crowd, um, there's something it says. It says, quote, April wore jeans, hiking boots, and a navy sweater. She rarely dressed like a girl, but her gender was never in doubt. Huh? <laughs> it sounds like, you know, like she's dressing like a girl because she is a girl. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter what clothing she wears. And I mean, are they literally boy clothes? Does she buy them in the boys department? I don't know. Yeah. And there's some point where he also is like, oh, yeah, he says it wasn't romantic. They were too young for that. Like, it was like. Then, then why'd you say that? They could just be friends without you. Don't even insinuate. <laughs> yeah, you, you can be like, they're best friends. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Leave it as is, you know. They've been friends forever. So April's horrible parents are getting divorced. The parents really treat her badly, apparently, as they did with her siblings August and March. I wonder when they were born. <laughs> So they, those two, those siblings, they skipped town as soon as they could get out of the house. Leave, I mean, they they didn't even really graduate high school. One of them left at 16. One of them left like just before graduation. Mm -hmm. And they just left her behind, the selfish assholes. 
I didn't even say that right. <laughs> I sounded like Cindy Cindy Brady. Self assholes. I mean, yeah, they they just left. I don't blame them. I do want to know what her parents would have done if they'd had twins. But <laughs> I know what were they gonna? They probably would have had to like name one of them like a like a their astrological sign or something. I would you know? that. You can do the month and the sign. Or you could do one could be like the month and the other one could be the day that they were born, like Thursday. You have like May and Thursday. Oh, I, I was like, what about what if it was the twenty third? <laughs> you could also do that. You can name your kids numbers. It's twenty three. <laughs> People name their kids weirder things than numbers. Honestly, that's true. They name them food. Come on. Ugh. So she wants to go live with her aunt, but her aunt said no. So Theo encourages her to choose her mom to live with. Not sure why, other than the reason he gives is typical for a judge to choose the mom for, to get the children. It's kind of a weird, I don't know. There, There is a legal like precedent for it. Right. Um, he's not wrong there, but it is weird for him to just be like, well, go ahead and choose it. I'm like, if it's going to happen anyway, so go ahead and choose it. I'm like, well, then why does it matter? <laughs> I don't know. So he stops by his friend Judge Gantry's office, his favorite judge, to convince him to allow his class and his teacher, Mr. Mount, into the courtroom, you know, to observe the first day of the big trial, which is tomorrow. And the judge reluctantly agrees um, to let them into the balcony. He gives them a little spot for it. But uh, and when Theo starts to leave, he asks the kid what he thinks of the case. To which Theo says he thinks the guy is guilty. And something tells me that this kid plays a hand in some of these court cases for this judge. Like, this is not the first time he's ever asked him what he thinks the verdict should be. That's interesting because we really don't dive into that. We don't, but we know they're so comfortable with each other. He's around so much already. We know this from how much he's already told us in the book. We haven't mentioned that, but he goes there all the time. So it's kind of like, yeah, he probably has some influence somehow. I also want to know why a 13-year-old is planning the school field trips one day before they go. I know. That. And no permission slips. I I was homeschooled, but like that still didn't happen. (laughs) Maybe that's what we're supposed to take from it. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, off to school he goes, and he like he goes racing through town, just barely making in time for Mister Mount's homeroom, the teacher who will chaperone at the courthouse. Now we learn that the people who run the school are scared of gender mingling during class, but all other times are okay. I, I don't, I don't understand why anyone thinks genders keeping gender separate is a good thing. I don't know. I don't think it really matters. You just teach people how, you know, hey, this is right. This is wrong. Don't act this way. I don't know. It just feels it could make things more awkward when you have to work together as an adult later <laughs> and you haven't really been around and up the opposite sex as much. I don't know. Maybe I don't know, it could provide a problem. I just don't. There. This is like a public school. So I don't realize like I'm like private school. That's a choice that you're making. But I'm like public school. That's weird. It's a really weird restriction. So the Spanish teacher, Madame Monique, is described as a, quote, tall, dark lady from Cameroon in West Africa. 
And I like that he included a very, you know, smart black woman in this, you know, um, that all the kids respect actually, because she's world traveled and speaks multiple languages and, and is still learning more to this day. Apparently Theo has an ear for languages and, and he picks them up pretty quickly. So that's kind of neat. I just thought it was weird that he threw that in, that he threw that teacher in, and we really only saw her one time. Yeah, like, I feel like they definitely could have done more with her. I know this ends up being a series, so maybe that was, like... Just the setup for her, yeah. But I was Establishing like, her character. Yeah, I was like, wow, she gets a whole page, and then we never see her again. <laughs> they mention her once later on, and that's it. <sighs> so later that day, in Mr. Mount's class, we learned the teacher himself was a lawyer from a family of attorneys. And he decided after a while that he'd rather teach instead. And I like that he actually includes, like he includes actual trials as well as he discusses fictional trials from like plays and TV shows with his class. I'd be really into that. That'd be a way I would want to learn about the law and maybe government and whatnot is actual real things that we can actually discuss and be involved in instead of just barked at, you know, dates and, verdicts and whatnot he officially announces um tomorrow's field trip to the first day of the trial which is a murder trial we learn and he has told um he has theo he basically explains like to the class how the courtroom is set up and what how it's gonna right he explains he does the layout and whatnot yeah for for his class and the reader Exactly. And it's very basic and it's, I'm not going to go into it because we're adults. We know how most trials, the prosecution, the defense, the jury, the judge, you know, the, 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 you know, the court clerk, the bailiff, every, he kind of explains all of it to the class and the, you know, the class has questions. He answers them. And it's basically just spelled out for the, you know, for the, the kid reader to learn about law. So this is where Theo explains that Mr. Duffy is on trial for killing his wife. He then puts in a slideshow <laughs> to display the judge, the attorneys, and the layout of the courtroom, like we said. And, you know, this is a good device for kids. Theo goes to his parents' office after school, as he's expected to every day. He stops by for a quick chat with each, as he's expected to every day. His dad is labeled as a 50-something slob, and his mom is slightly younger, fashionable, neat freak. I guess opposites attract. <laughs> We also learned that his father rarely sees the courtroom at all and is usually holed up in a messy office. And at one point, his dad tells Theo that he better not try to sneak out of school to watch the trial. And there's a quote that he says. It's really weird. Just don't even think about it, Theo. I've already talked to Judge Gantry. If he sees you in the courtroom when you're supposed to be in school, he will stop the trial, order a bailiff to take you into custody and haul you away. I will not bail you out of jail. You will sit there for days with common drunks and gang members. Damn, that's harsh. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. That was my favorite part. I was like, that's hilarious. And my dad always told me as a teenager, he was like, I'll help you with anything, but I don't have bail money. So for me, that always cracked me up. My dad was like, if you get arrested, there's no bail money for you. <laughs> I'm like, I Sorry, feel anything else. I'll change your tire for you. I'll jump your car. But bail money can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, 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 he's over-exaggerating. He's obviously kidding. But, you know, at first Theo's like, what? Really? 
<laughs> he was all right. I may not leave you in jail, but not gonna, he's not going to take any of that other stuff back. He's going to make sure he gets arrested. <laughs> so Theo complains about this to his mother, and she basically agrees with the dad. And Theo, you know, just needs to focus on being a kid right now and worry about law school later. Like, stop trying he, to like. Why did he think his mom was going to be like, oh, no, sweetie, your dad's wrong. Please skip school for the rest of the week to watch this trial. Like, <laughs> why, why did he expect a different answer or anything like that? Well, he's he's a little nuts. He's a little crazy about law. I mean, he's already tried to take like law classes online. <laughs> And they were like, no, you can't do that. No, you can't. Sorry. Be a kid. Okay. You need, it's time to be a kid, Theo. I'd love to note that when his parents want to end their conversations, they all say, let's get that homework finished. <laughs> Both times. They don't say bye. They say, now let's get that homework finished. It's, it's funny to me. And as a typical parent move, just shut up a precocious child. Just, you know, get out of my room. Get out of here. Get your homework. We learn then that not only does Theo have his own office in his parents' law offices, but his parents apparently bring the dog judge to work with them every day. He's always there with them. I'm like, you bring the dog with you (laughs) every day? He's an old dog. I guess, you know, everyone loves having a dog around, but it's just kind of... And they keep kicking him out of rooms constantly. So why did you even bring him? (laughs) I don't know. Something about that just... It's mixed messages for the poor dog. (laughs) Judge is a great name, though, for a dog in a family full of lawyers. Yes. That was a good That's kind of like on Veronica Mars and her dog was named Backup. And she goes, I brought Backup. Ah, okay. And then she would call the dog. Yeah. It's kind of like that. It's kind of a caricature of this. The story kind of makes a caricature of itself in a way with the whole law of this, law of that, and the judge named, you know, the dog's named Judge. So he gets a knock on his door and it's this kid from school named Sandy and Sandy wants advice. He overheard his parents talking about foreclosure on their house. And after Theo explains to Sandy and the reader (laughs) what foreclosure is, he does some quick searching and finds that Sandy's parents haven't made mortgage payments in four months. I'm like, okay. Um, Sandy's dad's out of work and the kid is worried he'll be homeless soon which is kind of sad. He's really scared. He's going to lose the house and he's going to be homeless. Not to worry though. After Theo recommends that his parents file for bankruptcy to help stop the bank from taking their house, Sandy leaves happily. Nice going Theo. Something tells me though, at some point in in this book or another book, he's going to overstep given with the legal, legal advice. It's going to happen. That would make sense. I did think I was like, Oh, this is real legal advice. Like when I, when you said we're going to read this book, I expected it to be like teenage boy, legally blonde, where it's like, I object. <laughs> That's what I was like expecting, but like teenage boys. And you can't tell me that teenage boys and Reese Witherspoon don't sound that different. Let's be real. They um, do. They do. Yeah. And then he's like, well, they have to file for bankruptcy. And it's like very well thought out. And I was like, huh? What kind of, what kind of 13 year old is this kid? But that's why it kind of remind, gives me this Encyclopedia Brown feeling because he was just like this really smart kid. Even the adults went to mm-hmm. for help and like finding things and solving little mysteries. So Mrs. Boone asks Theo to run some documents to the courthouse to be filed. And he is all about it. Anything to be around the courthouse, the little law junkie. She also reminds him to visit his uncle Ike. 
like he's supposed to every Monday and to meet back up for dinner at seven. There's a whole section about how they always eat at 7 p.m. no matter what. <laughs> I'd say it's pretty on par. It's 7 p.m. when they're with them, like their friends will plan dinner and make sure it's at 7 p.m. I know they like they work around their schedule. Like this woman is this woman. I, I hate to over over. I don't know if I would abuse the term of OCD for this. Because she is making sure everything is done at exactly a certain time. Everything is neat and clean. Everything is always the same. Always, always, always. I don't know. Would that be OCD or is that just just obsessive in general? I mean, I'm not a doctor. Um, I'm sure those could be tendencies of a person with OCD. But I wouldn't go diagnosing any behavior like that in this book. Definitely. (laughs) Plus it's a fictional character. What what does it matter? You can be a meticulous person without having obsessive compulsive disorder. So that's true. That was my, this does seem a little like he is, he is scared to miss like seven o'clock dinner. Like some bad stuff's going to go down. (laughs) Like, you know, if he is late ever. So he gets to the courthouse and he tries unsuccessfully to flirt with this young a clerk named Jenny. He just like keeps staring her like an obsessed kid in love would do. It's really kind of, in a way it's cute, but it's also kind of creepy. If only Jenny were his age and single and not pregnant. <laughs> and you just know that Jenny tries to be, you know, be gentle with Theo's feelings all the time. You know, how could she not know about his crush? Seriously. <laughs> She just asked Theo, like, you know, what do you, you know, what he thinks is going to be of the trial tomorrow and adding that he, you know, she thinks Mr. Duffy is guilty and Theo plays coy, but then he kind of agrees and it's so, you know, schoolboy crush kind of thing. So silly. Next, he's off to visit his uncle Ike. Now, Ike is Mr. Boone's older brother. Apparently, Ike used to work with Theo's parents as a tax attorney at their practice. But according to Theo's parents, he did something wrong. Like he just said, quote, something wrong and was stripped of his law license, AKA disbarred for some reason. In one of the next eight books in the series. Maybe. Exactly. Exactly. I was like, Oh, see, we're, we're, setting, we're setting the groundwork here for, so, yeah, Theo's parents don't tell him what he did. Like you said, like we're not going to find out it's probably later on. I mean, maybe it seems like they could be involved or perhaps they just don't want him to feel ashamed of his uncle or something. I don't know. I'm speculating. Nowadays, Ike just helps prepare taxes for small businesses. Just a little, you know, tax prep place. Not an accountant, just tax prep. Uh, Theo's parents hardly ever come by but they always expect Theo to do the groundwork for their relationship with his uncle. You know what I mean? Like he's just like, they don't want to talk to him. They don't, they yeah. want to stay away from him. I, I guess they're really Ike is like Jeremy Irons, just like in a garage scar from the original Lion King. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just imagine like that's the mental picture I had, but yeah, it is weird that they're like, you have to go see Ike once a week. We're never going to see him. Have fun. Like, <laughs> So Ike starts with small talk about the family and Theo's grades, but then moves on to tomorrow's trial. He tells Theo that he doesn't go into courtrooms voluntarily, but he knows the defense attorney for Mr. Duffy. He says that Clifford Nance, the defense attorney, is one of the best, one of the best around. And he'll probably win because the prosecution doesn't have much of a case except like circumstantial evidence. 
That's it. There's no real evidence. It looks bad that Mr. Duffy took out a million dollar insurance policy on his wife before she was murdered. That's what Ike says. And he also says the prosecution will make it look like Mr. Duffy set the scene to look like a burglary when he actually strangled his wife to death. This feels like really heavy material for a middle grade book. (laughs) (laughs) Opening day of the trial, everyone's in court and Judge Gantry gives even a little smile to Theo's class, especially up to Theo in the balcony. Mr. Hogan, the prosecutor, explains the scene. Myra Duffy was 46 years old and found strangled in her in her home. He says the murderer took about $30,000 in jewelry and guns from the house. Her sister, who had been trying to reach Myra all day, finally came by and found Myra's body. So Mr. Hogan takes the time to show slides on the projector of the scene. And all I can think is, how are they allowing these kids to see a trial with, like I said before, without permission from their parents? And especially a murder trial where they're going to see like slides and pictures of like the dead body and whatnot. I just feel like that, you know, they only got the okay from the principal and the judge. That's it. But no parents were in on it. I just, I just feel like that's a big no, no. I also just like, why don't the girls get to come too? Like that's not. Why are they separated in this class? I thought there were boys and girls in each class, but now like this one class only has all boys. It's really strange. I, yeah, I think. I think the girls should have been allowed to come. That's when I that's when I closed this book and said goodbye. Very sexist. <laughs> I did keep the book at him. That, but I did keep reading as well. <laughs> no, what'd you, what'd you say? I'm sorry. I did think that I was like, how come only the boys get to go on the field trip? But then I didn't actually shut the book and give up. I- <laughs> <laughs> so continuing. And Mr. Hogan says that Myra didn't put up a struggle. There were no scratches or broken nails and suggests it's because she knew her attacker. Of course, he points at Mr. Duffy, the accused. After giving the layout of the house, he explains that Mr. Peter Duffy teed off for his usual Tuesday golf time at 11.10 a.m. They figured out Miss Myra Duffy was killed at 11.45 a.m. Through major speculation, they say that he could have left his current hole rode home to kill his wife in eight minutes before returning back to the green to continue playing. Yeah, this is kind of a big stretch. I mean, cause that's a lot to do, you know, and not be noticed, but they do say there weren't many people on the, you know, on the green at the time. Nobody, not many people were golfing at the time. So He's playing alone. Yeah, exactly. And everybody's off at work. It's mid weekday. So he says, Mr. Duffy was losing money as a real estate developer and the banks were closing in. So, he had to cash in on his wife's insurance policy that he purchased two years prior when he didn't owe money. <laughs> that's what makes no sense at some point, because that's not a good story for the prosecution to lead with. Like, but he didn't owe money two years ago. Did he, was it two years ago prior to the, I don't, mm. there's a good moment when we're told that no matter if someone is innocent, they are always, if they say guilty enough, people will just start to believe it, which is true. It's totally true. Kind of says something about society, though, doesn't it? You know, we're kind of quick to believe the worst in people before believing, you know, the good. Dustin's downer note. (laughs) Um, During a brief recess, Mr. Mount checks in on his students. Each of them believes Peter Duffy killed his wife, of course. I like that all the boys have, like, identifiers 
Like there's Darren, the drummer, Brian, the swimmer. Like all the boys have like identifiers. Well, yeah, he has to like, he has to label everybody. Yeah. You notice that? He labels everybody. They're not just random insert lines. They're real people. (laughs) There's more to them than just swimming (laughs) or whatever. I don't know. So the defense's opening remarks. It's pretty much what I expected. Mr. Nance remarks that maybe this, maybe that, and, you know, that Mr. Hogan just presented. Basically, there's no evidence in this case to put away Mr. Duffy. It's all circumstantial and, like I said, speculation. I will say that the theatrics Mr. Nance, a 60-something-year-old man, it feels like the old Southern courtroom, like Matlock or something, like that dramatically, like, this here... It's just maybe this and maybe that. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. There's just speculation. You know, just, I don't know. It feels like an old courtroom. Doesn't mean like a. What? As well. The play, Inherit the Wind. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, definitely. You like a slow moving fan above them, like the shadow that's cast down on them, you know? Also, with them being up in the balcony and being like friends with the judge, I was like, I see this. I see all this connection. To Kill a Mockingbird. It's a little bit of familiarity, you know, and it can also help adults read the books with their kids, I guess, at the same time, get them interested. So he he says that although the Duffies did have some issues and separated a couple times, they never filed for divorce. In fact, when Peter Duffy took out his the life insurance policy of Myra Duffy, she had done the same with him, the same amount. Something most couples do to protect each other, duh. So after that, it's time for lunch recess. Half the class thinks he's guilty at this point, and the other half doesn't, while, I mean, just a couple, including Theo, still haven't made up their minds because of lack of evidence. They ask a lot of good questions, though, namely, where the hell did the jewelry end up? Which was what I was wondering. Because there was a robbery, where did the jewelry go? Where do you think it went? We both shrugged. As if anyone could see it. We were both like, where did the jewelry go? Shrug. Like, <laughs> Shrugness. I don't know. It's okay. They'll feel it. They'll feel the shrug. <laughs> They'll feel it. The class leaves lunch and they see Mr. Duffy with his lawyers out to lunch, accompanied by someone named Omar Cheap. And Theo's dad doesn't like him, calling him a, quote, thug for hire and saying that if someone hires Omar Cheap, they must be guilty. Hmm. Small town speculation again. He meets eyes with Theo briefly, and it's kind of this like weird moment they have, this exchange. Straight from the start, that guy is super creepy. Oh, yeah. They end up behind them walking back to the courthouse, and all Theo can think is guilty. He's guilty over and over. He's got to be guilty. Even though he knows it should be innocent until proven guilty, it's not so easy to rush to judgment. Not to rush to judgment, you know? It's just not. It's hard hard to not do that. Hence why you're not ready to be a real lawyer yet, kid. (laughs) That's why you're not ready. That's the only reason. (laughs) Right there. That's the thing holding you back. Other than than that, you're Doogie Howser, you know, attorney at law. When they return to court, they they briefly see the judge who moves the boys down to the floor since people have cleared out after the opening remarks. And the class ends up behind the prosecution 
Omar Cheap sits behind Mr. Duffy and looks back over at Theo again. What is this dude's problem? Like, he's just constantly looking at a kid. It's like, well, I don't like him. Like, Rrr. the trial starts back up, all while the defense never questions a witness. They just don't question anybody that comes up. Another brief recess is called, and the class files out of the courthouse and rides back to school. Theo immediately hops on his bike and returns back to the courthouse just as the school bell rings. First, he looks for April, but he can't find her, which is kind of concerning to me since he she hasn't really kept in touch with him about the parents' divorce. You know, I don't know. There's this whole thing they establish, and now it kind of feels like you know, I felt bad for this kid, like she's in an abusive household, and now we're not, we can't keep, you know, we're not hearing from her. What's going on? You know, I wanted April to like do more than just be sad about like I wanted them to like get together and like solve crime and be a crime fighting lawyer team, and instead she yeah. Just- like the whole book. I agree. I totally agree. She's just like, I mean, we'll talk about the sequel book. I haven't read it yet, but I know some stuff about it. So I'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But, you know, I, th- I hope she's okay. That's all I can think about. I hope she's okay. He returns to the courtroom for the end of the day's witnesses. And when adjourned for the day, all the lawyers, defense and prosecution go out for a drink. Something Theo notes is very professional to leave their jobs in the courthouse. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. But Omar Cheap notices Theo again before he leaves with Mr. Duffy. He looks back over his leg. And I can just hear, like, if this were, like, a, a movie or, or TV show, like, boom, boom, boom. Like, there's some kind of, like, soap opera, like, rising music every time he sees him and looks over but at I him. Have, like, Omar Cheap already, like, this is Theodore Boone, kid lawyer. And, like, because... Eventually, he does stuff that would get Omar Chief's attention, but he hasn't yet. So I was like, this guy's spending way too much time worrying about some kid. (laughs) (laughs) Now we learned something else positive about Theo's family. They donate a lot of time and money to the area's homeless. They're good people. Yes, they are very, very good people. Every Tuesday, they serve food at the soup kitchen at the the shelter nearby. We also learned that Mrs. Duffy and a few other female lawyers assembled a legal resource team to help women who have suffered things like uh, domestic violence and and homelessness. Also, Mr. Boone helps with like people's eviction notices or rent troubles. And Theo even has his own task. Like he tutors some kids. He tutors Hector, Rita, and Julio, three kids from El Salvador who lost their father under mysterious circumstances, which I thought was kind of strange. And I feel like that's going to come up at some point in the series as well. I just, oh, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. So I know there's so much. So I think, you know, the Boons are freaking heroes, but I have to ask, why are there over 300 homeless people in this town? <laughs> There's a lot of homeless people in this town. Oh I, I know it's a big town, but it's, this town is wild. It just it has everything. I know they have the, the everything, anything you can think of. They have it. Feels like a board game town. <laughs> yes, very true. Why so many homeless people, John Grisham? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, that's a lot for a town ta- for a town with a golf course oh, and a gated community. I'm sorry, I'm calling shenanigans. shenanigans on this so uh, later back at home Theo makes a very lame attempt at pretending to be sick which his parents of course see right through ain't no way he's staying home so he can sneak off to see the trial 
his dad will have him arrested, remember? So when he goes upstairs for the night, he sees April has finally replied to his message online, and they have a quick conversation about her day. She told the judge she didn't want to be with either of her parents because they're both horrible. For now, she's in her mom's custody until a final decision is made. So, yeah, the next morning, Julio, one of the kids from El Salvador, approaches Theo for the first time in public, which Theo's like, wow, okay. However, who would have guessed that Julio is just looking for legal advice? (laughs) Who would have guessed? He's a bit shady about it, but he finally admits it's something having to do with the the Durfee. The Durfee. Okay. (laughs) He may or may not know something that will be crucial to the murder case that is currently happening. So he's going to bring it up on day two of the trial. I mean, at least he's bringing it up at all. I mean, I guess, you know, better let than never. I kept wondering, though, I was like, okay, when is Theo going to get involved in this case? Because they're bringing up this murder trial, and I know he's going to somehow get involved in this. Here it is, right here. However, the bell rings, and so Theo says he's going to have to try to find Julio at lunch. Though he doubts it'll come to anything. He's like, what's this kid going to know, right? He's mainly just pissed that he can't be at the courthouse to see the trial all day. During recess, which recess for eighth graders, is this a thing? Um, Because I left recess behind in sixth grade. Like I went to elementary school through sixth grade and then we went to junior high, seventh and eighth grade. And we did not have recess in seventh and eighth grade. Yeah, that's what that's what we did before I was homeschooled. Yeah, because we had a break, which is when we all went to the cafeteria to eat snacks. So we had like okay. a snack time. But there was no playground or anything. Outside. Right. Anyway, I thought that was weird. So Theo sneaks off to the library where he uses his laptop to hack into the court clerk's files for up-to-date transcripts of today's trial proceedings. Which he's like, it's not technically illegal, illegal but it's kind of shady. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're right. It's kind of shady. You're not supposed to be really getting it. It's not really made public right now, but okay. I'm doubting anybody would do anything to him, though, about it. Like, they probably wouldn't do anything to him. Everybody in this town loves him. Exactly. He's Theodore Boone, kid lawyer. Clung, clung. (laughs) So the first witness was a Waverly Creek secure. I can't. I have my my R's and my W's mixed up. The first witness was a Waverly Creek security guard. They were talking about surveillance of cars that came in and out of the subdivision all day. And it was basically a stretch for the prosecution's argument that no cars, no strange cars entered. You know, Theo's kind of over it. So he goes back to class because there's nothing really there. Later at lunch, he can't find Julio to discuss what, you know, what was going on with the Duffy trial and what he knows. And I don't think that's a good omen in my opinion, but. So he decides to catch back up on the trial and reopens his laptop. And Theo is impressed with Mr. Nance. And I hope this guy you know, doesn't turn out to be this crook and thus, you know, bait, you know, never want to meet your heroes kind of way. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of getting impressed with Mr. Nance. He's kind of idolizing him a little bit throughout the book. Like he's like, this dude's slick and he's smart and he kind of likes him for it. So Theo gets startled by April looking over his shoulder. He turns his attention to her to hear her story. And something tells me that April is going to be his love interest when they get older. Like she's just so sweet. He's just so sweet to her. You know, he's so concerned about her and how it goes on. Nothing romantic because they weren't that age yet. Presumably, they get older, 
and it's not a Benjamin Button thing where suddenly Theodore Boone, <laughs> kid lawyer is Theodore Boone, toddler lawyer. Possibly <laughs> as they get to that age where people do romantic things. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> After school, Theo rushes to the courthouse for the end of the court day's proceedings. He ends up sitting next to his, quote, true love. It literally says that in the book. The court clerk, Jenny. He looks up to the balcony and sees Julio up there hiding and watching the trial. But Julio isn't alone. Omar Cheeps shows up right behind him. Dun, dun, dun. It doesn't really go anywhere from there. It just kind of cuts to, all right, trial for the day is over. So Theo looks, you know, looks around for Julio outside the courtroom, but he can't find him. So he just returns to his parents' law office, like, you know, nothing happened, and checks in with them as usual. It isn't until later that Julio actually shows up there asking about, you know, if they can talk privately. Here's the deal. Julio has an 18 or 19-year-old cousin that has been in town for over a year and works on the grounds of the Waverly Creek Golf Course. Every day, he eats his lunch alone, someplace by Fairway and Dogleg, he says. Apparently, Theo knows this, where this place is. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't do golf terms. We need really. a map of the town. We should have gotten a map of the town, or at least the, the golf course or something. I don't yeah, know. because like, this is where the trees are, this is where the house is, this is where the streets are. We could use a map. Yeah. While his cousin was eating his lunch, he saw a man race by on a golf cart and up to the patio of the Duffy house. He was wearing a white glove on his left hand, just his left hand, and he took off his shoes before entering and then slipped on another white glove on his right hand. Still well hidden, Julio's cousin saw the man leave suspiciously too. It wasn't until later that he found out about the murder, and since he's not in the States legally, he hid when the cops came to question everyone. Instead, he confided in Julio, since Julio has the papers to be here. So Julio needs Theo's help desperately. It's a lot to put on this kid. So Theo wants to help, but needs more information. He needs, you know, there's some missing, there's some holes in the story. So he arranges for Julio to get his cousin to, quote, accidentally meet him in the shelter during a, like a mock tutoring session they're going to arrange. It feels like Theo knows they're being watched or something. I was, I was waiting for Theo to have like, yeah, now he's getting involved in the trial, but I was waiting for him to like go searching for that like, piece of evidence and instead that piece of evidence came to him so i was a little disappointed i wanted him to like take it's really going the lawyer route not the pi or detective route. yeah exactly i was uh he's i was like oh he's yeah he sits at a desk and people bring things to him and uh i wanted more of him doing stuff <laughs> than like having i mean we'll get there there are several Real quiet, calm conversations that happen to solve this. Like, things happened through talking. We used our words. And actual, like, things that would make sense in the real world. It's like, this not is a, utopia. <laughs> I wanted him to go, like, fight crime. Like, oh, that would oh, be I a, agree. I agree. A superhero that they had, like, a gavel, like Thor's hammer, but it was a gavel. <laughs> the judge. Yeah, I'd be all about that. 
That's what I wanted this to be, and it just wasn't. <laughs> it would be like Kid Lawyer and Judge, his side, you know, sidekick dog. How cute would that be? Well, oh, by the way, we find out at this point that Strattenburg has at least 75,000 residents. So, I mean, it's definitely a metropolis, I guess. But, you know, it just, it kind of feels weird because, like, the Boons just let their kid haphazardly ride his bike through town <laughs> in this huge place, apparently, running in front of cars and whatnot. Whatever. It's cool. So Theo gets to the shelter and Julio's cousin hasn't shown up yet. And they start working on some algebra, but neither of them can concentrate. Just as they're going to call it quits, the cousin finally shows up, but he doesn't trust Theo at first. So after some prodding from Julio, he starts to open up. He pretty much repeats the same information about the man, you know, that Julio told all of us, the reader. (laughs) But then he says that the man was wearing a dark shirt and khakis like the one he saw Mr. Duffy wearing the same day on television when he saw the report come out. Theo can't believe the information he's getting and just wants to sleep on it. He reassures Julio and the cousin that they will come back. They will come up with a plan together. But for now, he's got to go home because he's late for dinner. (laughs) Told you he's got to get home for dinner at seven. So while eating chow mein and watching Perry Mason win another case due to, quote, surprise witness. Mr. Boone calls out that there's no such thing as a surprise witness. He's like, false. That's 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 not right. That didn't happen. Nope. Talking to the TV. Which we learn is because both the prosecution and the defense have to be informed of all witnesses before the trial, yada, yada, yada. So Theo challenges his parents. What about a witness no one knew about until the trial started? And this stumps them a little bit. And there's a little bit of an argument, but it sounds like the judge can make the final decision whether or not to accept the witness in the case. Theo doesn't like this idea because he thinks no matter what, Julio's cousin will end up deported. Tossing and turning all night, Trying to decide whether or not to tell his parents about Julio's cousin, he finally decides to keep his promise. However, he also decides to get more advice from his Uncle Ike. So Uncle Ike, he wakes him up. He's been drunk, you know, of course. He agrees to meet um, in secret before school and because Theo doesn't want his parents to know. He ends up being a big help. Like, after Theo says he knows someone who witnessed something that could put Mr. Duffy behind bars, like, that's all he really says. Ike is on it. He tells Theo to call him at lunch while he looks into ways he can convince Judge Gantry to allow the witness or at least declare a mistrial due to this mystery person coming forward. If he only knew the other circumstances, I mean, I feel like this may not come well for Julio's cousin. I just feel like that's going to happen. I don't know. Just knowing how the real world works a lot of times. At recess later, the kid that Theo helped earlier, Sandy, he comes up to thank Theo for his advice about the bankruptcy stuff. He said that it helped him because it helped them keep their house. And Sandy gives Theo a letter from his mom, you know, a thank you letter from her. And they both kind of tear up and which I kind of did too, actually. I was like, Oh, that's really nice. You know, he like, that's a good little happy ending to show that he actually really does help people throughout the community and his school. It's a you know, good way to kind of mur- break up this kind of murder <laughs> trial mystery thing. with a little bit of emotion. I have no heart or soul. I felt nothing. <laughs> like, oh, there's a resolution. I feel like if that hadn't been resolved, I would have gotten the end of the book and been like, what happened to Sandy? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> okay. So Mr. Mount has Theo update on everyone on the trial during his government class. Afterwards, Theo calls Ike, but it's not looking good. 
he tells Theo to stop by after school. At lunch, this popular girl named Hallie comes crying to Theo about her dog being picked up by animal control. He looks up court docs and sees that it's a second offense for violating the leash law. It's going to be a $28 fine, and they'll have to go pay it at the court that afternoon. She's grateful that her dog is safe, even though her dumbass thought that he would be at the courthouse waiting for her <laughs> when she paid the fine. I'm right there with you. I probably would have like had to hold my tongue, too. I'm like, oh, it'd been hard. I'm like, oh, you're dumbass. Oh, you're well, stupid. I mean, I also, I didn't realize that like animal court was a thing until I was reading this. And I was like, well, this book has been so accurate about everything else that um, that exists. Yeah, I guess it does. I mean, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe I was bamboozled, but I don't know. That was weird. <laughs> well, later they go to animal court. And while they, this is so funny to me. While they wait to be called, they overhear another case about a large boa constrictor named Herman that escaped in an apartment building, and everyone is terrified of it. The judge decides to let the owner keep the snake as long as he, he promises it's going to stay in his apartment. And there's this great, <laughs> this great quote from this judge. And even though it says that Judge Yek is a guy, I kind of see the, this very dry female comedian, somebody like Ali Wong. Or something playing this part because it's it, okay. Here's the quote Here's what we're going to do, Judge Jack said. Take Herman home. I never want to see him again. We don't have a place to keep him at the pound. We don't want him at the pound. No one at the pound likes Herman. Do you understand this? <laughs> <laughs> I love that judge. He's got such like such attitude. It's great. So when it's Hallie's turn, they state their cases very, you know, Theo states their case really well. He also bargains for the judge to drop the fines for the dog so she doesn't have to pay the $28. And this makes Hallie hot for Theo. But he notes that she's pretty slutty for a 13-year-old. <laughs> so he's like, you know, and plus it would make his friend April mad. And I bet it would. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to hurt April because you love her. You know you do. He makes it to the Duffy trial just as it lets out. Again, Omar Cheap is nowhere to be found. Why does that seem ominous? I don't know. It just feels, because he keeps noting it, that he's not around, but it just feels weird. The defense is clearly winning. Uncle Ike sees Theo, and they go over to his office, you know, down the way to chat. The basic gist is that Ike says either the witness comes forward or just, you know, Theo just needs to leave it alone. You just get out of it unless the witness is going to come forward. Just get out of this. He doesn't want Theo involved in the trial because it's just too much for him to handle. And before Theo leaves, Ike makes him promise not to do anything without telling him first. It also seems that Ike is getting a bit more into the trial than he anticipated, of course. He says, like, leave it alone, Theo. Don't stick your nose into this mess. And Theo's like, okay. Like, that was the other thing with this whole book where I wanted Theo to, like, go solve the crime. His life, The adults in his life are like, take a break. And he's basically like, like, he does some stuff he shouldn't, but he's pretty much just like... I abide by the rules. Yeah, he's like, okay, Ike told me to, like, go home, so we will. I I'm a good kid. Stop the magnifying glass and, like, break out into the, break into the guy's house. Spoiler alert, those things don't happen. I wish. Go read Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> or Nancy Drew or Hardy Boys or something. So he goes to his parents' law offices just as his dad is heading out to visit a friend. His mom is at her book club. This is when Julio shows up again. 
He says his cousin is nervous and saw policemen at the golf course and thought Theo broke his promise, which he didn't. He has integrity. Yes. He never break a promise. No, no way. He says this, you know, Julio drops this major bomb. The cousin saw the man who went into the Duffy house dispose of his white gloves in the trash. This is when Julio brings out a glove, a, a Ziploc bag with the gloves in it. The cousin got them out because he thought it was strange, but now he has evidence in a murder trial. Julio just decides to force the gloves into the possession of Theo before like running out. Nope, they're yours now. Bye. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> nope. Sorry. Hot potato. Nope, nope, nope. I'm like, shit, now he's involved no matter what. Like, you know, he was, he could have just walked away at some point, but now he's kind of, he definitely is involved, especially with all his integrity. He has to be. Cousin, I don't understand why this cousin didn't come to them earlier. If they're like, oh, there's this 13 year old who gives legal advice. He's been holding onto them for like weeks, months. It must be months to get like this trial, like to get this case to trial. It would be forever. He's just been holding on to these gloves and suddenly he's like, Take them, Theo, and he runs. <laughs> if I, like if that were me, I would have thrown him out by now. Like I really wouldn't have hemmed and hawed until the trial day. I know it's just so weird, but there's got to be a reason for it. Maybe we'll find out more later in other books. I don't know. So Theo has a restless night, of course. Poor kid, he doesn't know what to do. You know. Should he butt out, like Ike said? Should he go ahead and tell Judge Gantry everything? Should he break his promise? I'd have an ulcer at this point if I were him, and because this is too much for a 13-year-old Dustin to take. <laughs> at one point, he thinks he'll just wait till after Mr. Duffy gets acquitted. And then he'll send him the gloves with a threatening note saying, we're watching you. <laughs> Though this won't accomplish anything. It's kind of hilarious visualization. Like, what's it going to do? Uh, we saw what you did. We know who you are kind of thing. <laughs> like, ooh, what would that accomplish? I don't know, but it's still kind of funny. It's Friday morning, and Theo looks like hell, as noted by his mother. Of course, you know, mom's going to say that. You look like shit. Um, <laughs> what's wrong with you, kid? He's also cranky because of the burden weighing, weighing him down and, like, like, of course, the lack of sleep. He stops by Ike's office and tells him everything about the gloves. This pretty much confirms that Theo isn't getting out of this. He's not getting out of this at all. Later at school, a classmate named Woody, a kid with a very troubled home life, asks for advice because his brother was just arrested for possession of pot with the intent to distribute. As if Theo doesn't have enough on his plate, he agrees to give him some advice at recess. During geometry, though, Theo gets called to the office to be checked out for the day. Turns out, Ike lied and said they have to go to a funeral for the rest of the day, so Theo just kind of plays along. <laughs> Ike's big idea. Let's take Theo to his parents' law offices and come clean about everything. He's got to at this point. It's cutting, you know, the trial's almost over. It's only got a couple of days. They need to do something. So as they enter the law office, Elsa, the the secretary, asks why Theo is there so early from school, to which Theo replies, I'm here for the funeral. (laughs) I love funny kid humor. (laughs) <laughs> the Boone family sits down to talk. Theo tells his parents everything, and they cross-examine the shit out of him, like good lawyers and good parents would do. They decided to tell Judge Gantry about everything. He's a fair judge, and he'll do what's right. Let's hope, anyway. 
Theo lets it slip that the witness is an illegal immigrant and his dad automatically figures out that it's Julio's family right away. Boom. Up, oh, I know who it is. Well, at least he didn't say exactly, you know, so he technically didn't spill the secret. He just he, he kept his honor. That's like the important thing here. He, he didn't say anything he wasn't supposed to say. Exactly. He's, he's a good kid. He'll keep your secrets. <laughs> That's going to be the next one. Theodore Boone, secret keeper. For the first time ever, Theo is actually dreading going to the courthouse. For the first time, he he always loves to go there. He lives for that place. And now he's like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. This place is like bad news right now. As he follows his parents, he acknowledges that with everything at stake, this is not the place where he wants to be. Court is still in session until noon, as they're told. So they have to wait for Judge Gantry in his office until he you know, calls recess. And they're about 50 minutes early. So to pass the time, Theo throws his laptop open and does some quick research for his classmate, Woody's brother, Tony. He sends Woody an email describing the odds of Tony winning, winning if he pleads guilty or not guilty. It's not a lot, but at least he's trying to help this poor kid because he had to be pulled out of school today. But seriously, who would voluntarily name their child Woody? <laughs> I guess his name's Woodrow or something, but it's still. It could be a nickname. Or- I guess. He said, my parents named me Thompson, so parents are weird. I like your name. I like it. You know, ambiguous. (laughs) Better than Woody. No matter how you think of it, it's better than Woody. So like the thoughtful kid he is, he ends up sending his own teacher, Mr. Mount, an email to explain he's not going to be in government class. And he also sends a short message to April. He's just a nice kid. He is pretty thoughtful. He ends up wandering around the building and into this old stairwell that leads to an old library that's been closed off. Theo found it ages ago and even saw that he can look through a crack on the floor and watch the court proceedings below. Anyways, as he's leaving, he notices someone smoking in the shadows of the stair landing. Omar Cheap. <gasps> Something tells Theo and me that this guy was following him. Better watch your back, son. Judge Gantry doesn't show up until nearly one o'clock. He's tired of this case. <laughs> you can tell. He just, he just, you know, and to show up with three adults and a kid barking about some new witness is probably not what he wanted to deal with today. Still, he listens to the story about the mysterious witness. He, and Ike explains that the witness is an illegal immigrant in the area, presenting the obstacle of why he is anonymous. The judge considers all this info and says he can't stop the trial for some, quote, phantom witness. So Ike then suggests that the judge not hold court on Saturday for the jurors to, you know, for their verdict. He tells the judge to hold off till Monday so that everyone can process the new information and come up with a conclusion. He doesn't say he'll do it, but I'm pretty sure, you know, he's going to do it. He's going to go through with this. So with Mrs. Boone back in the office, the remaining three Boones sit down behind the defense in court to see the final witness be called, Mr. Duffy himself. I said, this was very fast. Like, when I watched the news, like, murder trials like this do not take five days. I know. There is severe lack of evidence. (laughs) Severe. (laughs) So Theo studies Mr. Duffy, who is smug as all get out. He thinks his shit don't stink, basically. He gives testimony about how much he loved his wife and how, even though they had their troubles in the past, they were working they were working it all out. He denies ever being in trouble financially. 
He also gives 20 years worth of golf scorecards to show he always plays golf alone. So that's no big reveal. Who keeps 20 years of golf scorecards? That was, so that's Brett Kavanaugh with his calendars, right? <laughs> like not to get but that was exactly, I was like, um, you crying over your golf scorecards from 20 years ago? Like. That was my squeaky was there. <laughs> like these guys are crazy. Like they're all crazy. They're a bunch of crazy. People. Like also, why can't you just fake an old scorecard? Like I guess they can carbon date it. I don't know. Yeah, that's not really like proof. I know. Who's gonna get sympathy date, Like a piece of paper. I don't. I, if they really wanted to make sure it was twenty years old, I guess I don't know. <laughs> it could. Yeah. I guess it's possible. They have the they have the ability. Yeah. So anyway, he's trying to get sympathy from the jurors, of course, by crying. And I guess whatever works in your your when you're on trial for murder. The prosecution, Mister Hogan, calls for a short recess to help the jurors reset after the emotional display they just witnessed. <laughs> Ike and Woods Boone are talking like kids watching some kind of sporting event, making hypothetical bets about what's going to happen next. Both need to work, but neither one is leaving. Of course, Omar Cheap, the weird PI guy, is lurking around, lingering, as if he's listening to the boons. Back to court. Jack Hogan doesn't waste time poking holes in Mr. Duffy's financial problems. He presents documents of foreclosure on some investment properties Mr. Duffy bought with some partners. One was even sold at a third less the asking price. This doesn't look like Mr. Duffy had very good finances at the time. Also, when he and Myra Duffy had some marriage troubles a few months before her death, at the same time, Mr. Duffy's married secretary, Mrs. Mays, signed a year lease on an apartment. Isn't that strange? Why would she do that? She's married. She's fine. Her marriage is fine. But I don't know. Mr. Duffy seems uncomfortable about this information being brought up. You can tell he wants to lash out. He's, He's like squirming in his seat. But he keeps diverting to, it wasn't my apartment. You should ask Mrs. Mays about it. Coward. Finally, it's 6 p.m. And Judge Gantry calls for the end of the day. He's decided to wait until Monday for the jury's deliberation and to close the arguments. He's biding more time. Like we knew he would. Theo wakes up Saturday morning feeling refreshed, finally. He doesn't have, you know, this pit in the bottom of his stomach. He can relax his muscles. He doesn't have to be so tense. He, everybody like knows about child has ever relaxed in his life. I know. He sounds like he's wound up tight. The stress of the secret, it just isn't, you know, holding him back anymore. So to his surprise, Ike is at his breakfast table when he comes downstairs to eat. He, Ike and the parents are over there. They're discussing ways of helping Julio's family get an apartment so they, they can leave the shelter. I mean, these people are just really good people, (laughs) plain and simple, you know, to help out an immigrant family with no means to help themselves, just kind. We need more people like the Boones. So Woods Boone, his dad, tells Theo that they're going to go golfing like they do every Saturday. Only this time, they're going to go to a new course. Where are they going, Thompson? They're going to the golf course, whatever the name of it was, where Mr. Duffy was and where Waverly Creek, (laughs) where Julio's cousin works. And exactly. That's the one. (laughs) 
So after they arrive and they tee off, Mr. Boone finally tells Theo that they're helping the, the Pina family, um, Julio's family, find a place to help them become more stable. This has apparently been in the works for months now, so it really has nothing to do with this case or anything. But with everything that's happened, they're trying to get it done a bit faster so that they can help Julio's cousin. He says that he and Mrs. Boone will sponsor him if needed so that he can get his legal paperwork to stay here. They also will help him find a more stable job than groundskeeping at the golf course. Seriously, why aren't there more people like this? (laughs) Oh my God. They end up on the spot of the course where Julio's cousin had eaten lunch. Theo points this out and, you know, where he was probably hiding. And Mr. Boone thinks it's a good idea to take some pictures. That is until Theo notices that Pete Duffy is on his back patio watching them through binoculars. That's not creepy or anything. Just watching them. How would Pete Duffy know to be watching them? And to have or to be looking for them out of the golf course. It's very strange. They decide to play through and Theo takes his dad to the trash can where the cousin found the gloves, apparently. And they take a picture of that as well. So after golf, Mr. Boone has the idea to grab the, the Pina kids from the shelter and take them to a baseball game at, the, at nearby Stratton College. How many times can I say how, parent, how the, awesome these parents are? The kids have the time of their lives, you know, being out of the shelter and acting like normal kids for a little bit. Ike and Mrs. Boone show up and Theo steals Julio away to watch the game a little bit closer to the field and to talk to him, you know, in private a little bit. He reveals that the family, you know, what everything is going on and what his family's doing for Julio's family to help them. He also learns that Julio's cousin name is Bobby Escobar, Roberto. He tries to convince Julio to get Bobby to come forward. They will work to get him immunity protection and possibly legal papers to stay in the States. Theo presses Julio to get his mother in on it too, because Bobby told everything to her as well about, you know, seeing Mr. Duffy and the gloves and whatnot. Bobby, you know, he needs to get convinced to come forward because the clock is ticking. So that night, Julio calls. He talked to Bobby, but it's not looking good. The police were at the quarry earlier where Bobby lives and they were rounding up illegal immigrants. Bobby is scared that they were actually looking for him. He doesn't know who to trust. You know, poor guy. I can only imagine just coming, you know, to another country, uh, just scared for your life on being sent back to the place you were actually trying to escape or get away from, you know. I don't even know what that would feel like to have, you know, have to suddenly leave everything behind again. You know, you've already done it once. You have to do it again. You know, I just, I'd hate that. Mr. Boone is listening to Theo's conversation and tells Theo to get Bobby to meet him at the carousel in the park in about an hour. So Theo relays the message to Julio. Hopefully Bobby will show up. So later at the carousel, Bobby and Julio show up. <laughs> they, do. they show up. And Theo tries his best to convince Bobby to come forward with his eyewitness account. He also asks him about letting the Boone sponsor him so that he can gain legal status. Suddenly a cop car shows up and Bobby's like, he's like poised to run. But Theo convinces him, like, look, they're not out to get you. Just stick around. They're not out to get you. They're just here, you know, giving parking tickets. So he invites them, to, you know, over to his house to stay the night. To make them a little more comfortable and feel like Bobby will feel a little bit more secure. Of course, his parents are fine with it. 
They end up getting pizza and playing video games, and Theo practices his Spanish. Everyone wins. <laughs> And I love how Theo called it a slumber party and not just a sleepover. Yeah. Sleepovers with, this is a fact, the sleepovers with one person, a slumber party is with two or more people. That is a scientific fact. You don't have to check that anywhere. Oh, I agree. And there were, there were three boys at that party. Therefore slumber party, not a sleepover. I agree. It's typically boys don't usually call it a slumber party. Well, they just don't typically. That they're using the wrong definition then. To <laughs> on this. So Sunday evening, and Judge Gantry walks over to the offices of Boone and Boone. However, he doesn't know he's being trailed by a guy named Paco. <gasps> as soon as he goes inside the Boone law firm, Paco calls his ride Omar Cheap to collect him. Omar doesn't like that the Boons are suddenly involved somehow. He also doesn't like that Theo's been hanging around the courthouse. I had a feeling this dude would end up being more sinister later on. So Paco and Omar decide they're going to wait, you know, to, we're going to wait them out to see who's actually inside that building and see who's all involved with this. Meanwhile, inside the law offices, Judge Gantry sits for Theo's PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> he loves giving him some pre- presentations, doesn't he? I want to know if he uses like the animation and stuff. It feels like sound effects. Like how in depth- He's a kid. He's figured all that. You know he has. You yeah, know he has. how in depth are these PowerPoint presentations? <laughs> so Theo shows a map of the course and shows where you know, the witness was eating lunch and when he saw Mr. Duffy go in and out of the house, he also shows the judge a picture of the trash bin where the gloves were found. This raises a lot of questions for the judge, which leads us to the kicker. Bobby is upstairs, ready to come forward if Judge Gantry will agree to grant him some legal immunity, which he does. Yay! The only kicker is that Bobby can't tell from Mr. Duffy's face if he's the same guy that he saw, he only recognizes the clothes that he was wearing, which when Theo brings up an old police photo from that day in the background, he sees Mr. Duffy and Bobby immediately re- recognizes him as the guy. Cause he's like further away, you know, in the background. So, okay. You know, it's kind of coming to a head, but I'm still a little nervous about the whole thing. Monday morning, 9.00 AM. Everyone's gathered in court eager to start the closing arguments. However, when Judge Gantry takes the bench, he announces a mistrial. <laughs> Woohoo! Yay! This has blindsided everyone. Both sides of the case are just astonished. Everybody, the jury, prosecution, defense, everybody's like, what? Omar Cheap looks over at Theo knowingly. He does not like this kid. <laughs> yeah, Omar Cheap needs to calm down. He kind of feels like a mob hitman or something, you know? Yeah, for sure. After all that excitement, and Mr. Boone turns to Theo and orders him to go to school. <laughs> this kid can't win, really. <laughs> he can't, like, come on. Really? He, like, he likes school. He's a nerd. He like- nah, he wants to stay in the courthouse. Yeah. But he goes. he goes to school, and when he arrives at the school office with his excuse note for being late, 
Miss Gloria talks to him about the funeral that he went to that Friday. And he's like, what, what funeral? Oh, oh, that funeral. Yeah. Yeah. The one I got checked out for. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. It was a great funeral. It was a blast. <laughs> and she's like, what? But then she kind of changes the subject and she, she starts to ask him for legal advice. I'm like, what about her brother that was pulled over for drunk driving after some minor explaining Theo gives her the name of a reputable lawyer that deals with drunk driving cases and this kid's work is never done. And I think that's our lesson. His work is never done, which ends the book of Theodora Boone, Kid Lawyer. Yay! So what do you think overall? So I so I definitely mentioned several times throughout this that I wanted Theo to have such more of an active role I felt like everything just came to him and he was like what do I do with this information and he's hemming and hawing like everything just came to him the other kids came to him for legal advice Julio came to him with his cousin he felt like a very inactive character for the book yeah I agree with that. It's a very just establishing book just to kind of, I feel like probably later on, he would probably get more involved. You know, I think it's going to, especially with this case, getting a mistrial or, you know, or apparently, apparently in book three is when the trial starts back up again. Okay. They come back to it. Yeah. This first but, book, I was like, I know stuff is going to happen in the next eight books, but this did not make me want to pick up any of the other books. I was like, I'm good. Well, we do find out in book two, it's called Theodore Boone, the abduction and April gets kidnapped. See, like that sounds like more of what I wanted. Like I wanted (laughs) adventure, lawyering, like that just seems like it's ready to be like him finding her in some abandoned barn that she's been tied up in or something, you know? Yeah. So like this book did not make me want to read any of the other books, which sound a lot better than this book. Well, if I read one, if I decide to do a second one, we'll just go ahead and do it. We'll push through it and see if the second one's any better if we decide to do it one day. How's that sound? Sounds sounds good. Yeah, for sure. It's better to do it with a friend. Don't do it yeah. alone. Don't read alone, kids. If I have to read it, I will. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That was, it it was a fun book. And it was my first John Grisham. And it was your first John Grisham. So we got through it together. And that's what matters. Oh, we learned things too. Yes, I learned all sorts of things about being a lawyer. I'm basically ready to go be a lawyer now. I, I know. I, I'm a, I'm ready to be a kid lawyer. That's for sure. I haven't been to law school, but I have read Theodore Boone, Kid Lawyer. So I feel fully prepared. I'm going to go find a murder trial tomorrow and just. Well, don't forget, you got to practice your bend and snap as well. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, mm-hmm. I'm going to go. Yep. After this, watch some Legally Blonde. And then I will be fully prepared to go in. And I'm just going to invite myself. I'll be like, I'm your new defense attorney. so speaking of katrina loves trent why don't you tell us a little bit about that and where we can find you yes so um 
Katrina Love Trent is a visual YA novel parody um, where I play in pictures both the uh, 16-year-old girl named Katrina and the 16-year-old boy named Trent. Um, If you are just listening to this, for the record, I am very much not a teenager. I am acting. Um, And we post a new picture or a new page in the story every day. We have been doing this since uh, the beginning of January. So um, you have a lot to catch up on, but it's actually really easy to scroll and get caught up with the whole story. Even go on our like our highlights on our Instagram page. We have each month laid out for you so you can catch up really easily. Um, it's only like a few sentences every day. So and you get to see my face. And because this is a podcast, you can't see my face right now. You can only hear my <laughs> voice. And so go check out Katrina Loves Trent yeah. on Instagram and you'll get to see Thompson's face. Follow at Katrina Loves Trent. Katrina is spelt with a C. Because she's different. She's special. And you also have a Twitter account as well. Yeah, we do. It's at uh, Katrina underscore Trent. I don't run that, though. That is all my writing partner, Ryan, who I think is going to be a guest on this podcast in a couple of weeks. Yep, he will be on the next episode. Oh, the next episode. So... Next time, you'll get to hear from him. He runs the Twitter. And co-writes everything with you. Co-writes everything with me. And he mainly runs the Instagram, too. But it's all pictures of my face. So, Well, it's a very beautiful face. <laughs> and I can't wait for one day for the inevitable book that's going to come out. I know it's going to come out in a big volume one day. Across, man. <laughs> <laughs> if it does, I'm going to read it on this. <laughs> That'd be very cool. But yeah, fingers crossed. Until that happens, you can catch us on Instagram. Awesome. Yes. So thank you so much for coming on and for doing this show with me and reading the book with me. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Have any questions about Theodore Boone, John Grisham, Katrina Loves Trent, or this show in general? Reach out to me on Twitter at Dustin underscore Holden or on Instagram at Dustin Can Read. You can also reach me via email at DustinCanReadPod at gmail.com. And please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. Until next time, Dustin Can Read. Dustin Can Read.